It's a good joke. I do it every week. And you still don't laugh. Why is the title? We're doing really good with our titles lately. Last week we had and, so we have why. Maybe next week we'll have if or but or something. <laughs> Anyone that has children has heard this question. Why? Why is this like this? Why is that like that? Why do we do this? Why don't we do that? Why is the sky blue? Why is our car red? Why don't you have any hair? Why? They say. It's a question that comes from a desire to know something, and it's a question that is often sparked by something seen, touched, or heard. This weekend is a Remembrance Day weekend. Um, some of us have been wearing poppies on our clothes and jackets, etc. And I wore one today, and my wife asked me the question, why? Because it was yesterday. And I said it was for the message. So according to the Canadian War Museum, the red poppy is a native plant along with much of the Western Front during the First World War has become a powerful symbol of remembrance. It is the principal emblem of the Royal Canadian Legion, which distributes several million each year to be worn by Canadians on Remembrance Day. The familiar symbol of the poppy owes much of its fame to Canadian poet and soldier John McRae. In Flanders Fields, McRae's best-known poem was inspired by and made reference to the poppies which grew along the western front. It opens in Flanders fields, the poppies blow between the crosses row on row. The blood-red poppy had long been associated with the fighting armies of Europe and the flowers often overgrew the mass graves left by battles. During the First World War, enormous artillery bombardments completely disrupted the landscape infusing the chalk soils with lime. The poppies thrived in the environment, the colors standing out against the blasted terrain. In 1921, the Great War Veterans Association, the largest of several Canadian veterans groups, adopted the poppy as a symbol of remembrance. The Canadian Legion formed in 1925 continued this connection. The poppy worn on the left lapel and close to the heart to recognize the sacrifice of soldiers in times of war. They were initially made by disabled veterans and the proceeds of sales then and now go toward funding veterans' needs. The poppy remains an enduring symbol of remembrance in Canada, Great Britain, the nations of the Commonwealth, and then the United States for those who served or fell in service to their country. It's a symbol that we as Canadians wear generally at this time of year until yesterday to remind us of the great price that was paid for our freedom. It represents sacrifice and selflessness. And when someone who is not familiar with the poppy sees it, they may ask why you are wearing it. Children will ask, newcomers to the country, and folks that aren't familiar with the story behind it. And a poppy can be used as a tool to educate someone else in regards to the ultimate sacrifice that has been paid by someone. We wear a poppy to remember the stories of the past. It's a memorial of sorts, if you will. Many, many moons ago, the people of Israel were living in Egypt, and God had promised them a land of their own, the promised land. They cleverly named it. Through a series of supernatural events and plagues, a sea parting, water from a rock, food from heaven, clothes lasting forever, 
Um, through those things, God sustained Israel. He provided and took care of them, all the while leading them to the promised land by a pillar of fire or cloud, depending on the time of day. But Israel did the thing that they do and would do many times over afterward. They disobeyed and didn't have the faith needed to enter the promised land. And so all of them, over a certain age, save for two, wandered around the desert until they died. And so a new generation came to be in the wilderness, one for, uh, who for the most part did not really know about Egypt. They hadn't really experienced Egypt. And they'd been raised in the wilderness, and uh, a lot of them had been born in the wilderness. They didn't experience the things that their parents did. And they no doubt heard the stories, though. That's the way it goes with children. They don't experience how you grew up. It's weird, right? They weren't there. And eventually, Moses, um, their only leader that they had known, passed away. And Joshua, the new guy, took the position. And God decided that now was a time for them to go into the promised land. And God uses Joshua, and Israel crosses the Jordan River, much like how Moses led them across the Red Sea. He parts the waters, and they cross on dry ground. In the story we pick up with Joshua 4, 1, it says, And it came to pass, when all the people were clean, passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying. And this story, this message today is going to be about remembering and about why, and What's neat about this story thus far is the Bible says when all the people were clean passed over. This story that we're going to tell, this testimony was all of the peoples. And God led them all across the river and he waited until they were all clean across before he would speak to them. And sometimes we get ahead of each other. Sometimes as a church, as people, we can even try to get ahead of God. Sometimes God is trying to lead us as people somewhere spiritually, but we've got, you know, one in a minute, but we got some folks who drag their feet. I've got more children than I probably should have. No, I'm just kidding. But if you try to go anywhere, it takes forever. There's always one of them. Or two, sometimes even three. That just take forever. We're, we're going to go. We've got to be in the car now. It's 20, 30 minutes sometimes. And it's maddening. That's just the way it goes with people. Everyone's got to go to the bathroom. Everyone's got to get a drink. I mean, we, we went places without water. I don't know how we survived as children. I never had a water bottle. Anyways, well, that's the way it is. You know, we're all traveling and someone, someone's always dragging their feet. And if you'll allow me just at the beginning here as a pastor of this assembly to speak, perhaps maybe even a little bit prophetically, until we all get on the same page, God's not going to speak like we want him to. He's not going to lead us to the next step until we all are clean across the river. Until we're all on the same page. Unity is an incredibly underrated thing. Especially when it comes to living for God and following God. There are things that God does in our lives personally. And there's things that he teaches us and shows us and works in us. And then there are things that God does in our homes and our families. Prayers that he answers. 
times he provides and places he leads us as family. And then there are things that God wants to do in us as a people collectively, in our case as a church, as fellow believers united together. And there are spiritual places and things that we've been promised through his word, through the gifts of the spirit, through prophecy, through the preaching of the word that God is trying to lead us to. But in order for us to get there, we all need to be on board. We all need to cross the river together. We need to get together, come together, and follow him together. And until we do, some of us are just going to be standing around waiting for the people that are dragging their feet to get across the river. And I know God has more for this church. And I know that God has a plan for this church. And I know that there is a, we'll call it a promised land for this church where his spirit flows freely, where praise and worship comes easily, where people... Um, are, are, are filled in, with the Holy Ghost frequently where uh, prayer is powerful and fervent and, and effective where the Spirit is poured out where all men dream dreams and young men see visions and our sons and our daughters prophesy where people are called into ministry where His Spirit works in mighty ways where sacrifice comes naturally and faithfulness is a way that we live where holiness is our passion and lost lives are saved daily but it's on the other side of the river and we're taking our time to cross the river and he's trying to lead but we don't want to go and it looks different because Moses isn't here anymore Moses parted the water with the staff and Joshua did it differently and he put the ark of the covenant first and when the people carrying it touched the water with their feet that's when the water parted Moses didn't or Joshua didn't have the staff that Moses and things were done differently, but God is trying to lead us just the same. And if we're going to keep fighting and pushing and arguing and murmuring and complaining and getting offended over whatever and start getting upset and holding grudges and all this stuff and not supporting and working together and all these things that I preach over and over and over, we're never going to get where he's trying to lead us. God works through unity. Acts 2 and 1, it says, On the day of Pentecost was fully called, they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the holy ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance the church was born in unity and the church grows in unity and the church needs to move in unity this is a body your hands don't get too far ahead of your feet you can go a little bit if you stretch but you got to wait for the rest of the body to go. Your feet maybe they get a little bit further ahead, but the rest of the body's got to go. You can only go so far. The body needs to go together. And this was just a pastoral one-off for you there to put that in your whatever. We'll get on to the real message. But Israel, they all cross the river together. When they all get across, then God is ready to speak to them. And he says, take you 12 men, out of the people, out of every tribe, a man. Israel's got 12 tribes, 12 extended families, if you will. And God wanted to make sure that every family was represented by what he was doing here. And this church thing works best when we are all involved. We are all invested. It'll work if only a couple families are involved and invested. But when every family is, that's powerful. And that's important. Yes. Will it work if only a couple are sure? We'll scrape by. But when we all are invested in this, we're all poured into this. We are unstoppable, as you'll see with Israel and the rest of the story. If you read the book of Joshua, they do incredible things because they're all bought into this. That's 
Verse 3, it says, And command ye them, saying, Take you hence, out of the midst of the Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feast, feast, feet stood firm, twelve stones. You shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. And God said, I want you to go back to the middle of the river. I want you to take some stones. And I want you to bring them to the other side, here where we're staying for the night. Twelve tribes, twelve stones. And this was a miracle that they were a part of. This was a miracle that they were witnessing. God was doing something incredible here. He was leading them into the promised land. He was going to give them victory over all these different peoples and nations and places. And they were about to witness things that nobody thought possible. Walls would come down literally. Victories would be won. Lives would forever be changed. And God said, I want you to go right here at the beginning. I'm going to do some incredible things to you. Before we get there, I want you to, I want you to, right in the middle of this, I want you to get you some stones. And people in those days, they would often use stones for markers or altars and things like that. You know, think of, um, oh, what's his face there? I forgot his name. Israel, Jacob. Had his dream, set up a stone. I can throw all the other J names in my head, but I couldn't remember that one. You know, people would set stones as markers to remember what God had done or spoke and whatever. And so Joshua, he does what he's told. He says, Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said to them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of Jordan. Take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. So he tells, tells the twelve men to do his thing. But why? Verse 6, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what mean ye by these stones? So the entire purpose of this exercise and this message, I guess, was to make their children ask questions. But your children are going to ask questions anyway. But God wanted to direct their questions a little bit to this. As a child, I would often ask my mother, why so much? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Why are we going here? Why are we going there? And my mother, she had enough of me asking why. And so she came up with the clever saying, to make you ask questions whenever I asked her why. Because my mother is known for her sarcasm, you see. A trait she definitely did not pass on to her son. Well, this is literally why God had them gather stones, that the children would ask questions. But why? Why do we guard our testimonies? Why do we not tell our children about God naturally and his ways? Why is this a thing that we're reminded to do in Scripture? What's neat about this story is every tribe picked up a stone. Every family was included. I don't know if they marked them or they could tell what stone was what. Like this was Judah's, this was you know, Benjamin. I don't know if they, they could tell that or not. But each tribe picked up a stone. Every family was included. And um, the church testimonies are our testimonies. This goes for the you know, broad ones. God doing a work in the church body. You know, God providing or moving or working in the body. Or in specific ones. God delivering you or your family. God saving you or God providing a home. We've heard 
You know, it's your story about the goodness of God, but it's ours too. We're all invested in this. We're all in this. Every tribe picked up a stone because every tribe was involved. Every tribe has a testimony. Every tribe has a part. You can't be in this body and not have a testimony. You can't be in the body of Christ and not have a, a story. The whole point, the Bible says, to what they were doing was to cause the next generation to ask questions. Why did we wear a poppy in November? To remember. How do I know what a poppy represents? I asked my mother. I asked someone, and they told me. And yeah, we've got a, a, we've got a testimony. God is working, and God is moving, and he's leading us somewhere spiritually. And yes, we're not quite maybe where he's leading us, some folks still need to get across the river, but we're going to get there. We have a, a testimony. He's done so much in our lives. But are we living in such a way that someone, the next generation, notices and wants to know why? And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and I'll keep on saying it until you kick me out or I can't say it anymore. But we need to invest in the next generation. We need to tell them what we know. We need to tell them about Jesus. We need to tell them what he's done for us. The world's not going to do it. We have to do it. Our survival as a church depends on it. Our growth as a church depends on it. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but there needs to be something. There needs to be some sort of memorial in our lives and in our families and our homes and some way that we live that lets the next generation know that there's a story here. There's something that happened here. Why are we going to church again? We go every week. Why do we dress like this? Why don't we celebrate this holiday? Why don't we do this? Or why do, why do you cry at church? Why do we sing these songs? Why do we pray? But if, if there isn't anything like this in our lives, they're not going to ask. If they didn't build that memorial, the kids weren't going to ask what it was for. We have a responsibility to remember and to teach the next generation. And the thing with kids, if you've got any in your home or around you, you've got to tell them something more than once. <laughs> Repeatedly. I don't even think they listen when they ask why. You've got to tell them again and again and again. Which is why we find in Deuteronomy 6, 4-9. Now we know this one. We love this one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. That's a lot of times. Yes. Amen. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and thou shalt be as frontlets between thine eyes. Now shall write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. We love Deuteronomy 6 and 4. There's one God. Yes, sir. I can preach that. We'd all be, woo! Yes, we're so much better. We know that there's one God. We believe that. Mm -hmm. Preach it, preacher. The word here in Hebrew, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It's one of those words that implies a reaction. Now to us, here means just to take something in with our ears and that's it. We'll just sit there. We heard it. Cool. No response. But in Hebrew, which, shocker, the Old Testament was written in, it means listen, take it in, 
But there's also a response that's expected to go along with it. And the response to the revelation of one God, he says, is to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, or might, to put his words in our hearts. And according to verse 7 to 9, to teach them to our children in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. We're going to put it on our hands, we're going to put it on our foreheads. They can't even look at us without seeing it. We're going to write it on the doorpost. They can't go in and out without knowing. And there's one God. Not only should this revelation of the one true God affect us, not only should it affect our love for him, not only should it cause his word to be put in our hearts, that's only half the response. The rest is to teach it to the children. What are we teaching our kids? I know some of us, our kids are grown up, and we're thankful for that. But there are children here. There are children in our family. We have grandchildren. We got nieces. We got nephews. We got a whole slew of them coming. What are we teaching them? Because they're watching and they're learning from us. Our responsibility as parents, as grown adults in the church, is to teach our children about God, to teach them the ways of God, to teach them that there's only one God, and teach him how teach them how to love him with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and educate them with how to love them, him with all of their might. And I haven't stepped on toes in a week, so I will. Believe it or not, we're teaching them right now. <clears throat> And I've said that before, yeah, and I'll say it again. But we're teaching them by how we live, by how we act, by how we respond to the presence of God in a church service like this. You're teaching the children of this assembly how to live for God, whether you want to admit it or not, whether to take it seriously or not. And so the question is, what are we teaching them? Because we're teaching them. They're watching. Are we teaching them to only pray when it's convenient? Are we teaching them that we're only Christians on Sunday, that attending and being involved in church is optional, that we only have to worship or respond when we feel like it or we like the song or we know the song or it moves us? Or uh, are we teaching them that the altar is a scary place and we only go there every six months or so or when there's a special speaker? Or do we teach <laughs> that we dress and act one way when we go to church and the rest of the week we don't? Are we teaching them that it's okay to grumble and murmur and complain and be miserable? Or are we teaching them how to enter into his presence with praise and worship? Are we teaching them how to intercede and how to hear from God, how to be faithful, how to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil? Are we teaching them how to stand for truth when nobody else wants to? Are we teaching them that living for God starts when we walk out those doors? Are we teaching them that there is a story here, that there's a testimony here, that God delivered us here, and God did a work in our family, and God did a work in our church, and God provided for us then, and God's been good to us. Look at those rocks. Look at those doorposts. Look at our lives. What are we teaching them? We can't expect one day for them just to get it if we haven't shown them how. We can't expect our children to become prayer warriors when we struggle to pray for five minutes 
ourselves. We can't expect them to know how to worship if we don't do it ourselves. How are they supposed to know the word if we don't teach them? What are we teaching them? I know how to pray because men in my church taught me how to pray. They showed me. I know how to worship because I watched a guy named Bob slow dance around the back of the church. Just him and Jesus. He would just dance on and another guy, Bill, would always just right to the altar, always worshiping another guy. Roger just walked across the front of the church every service. It didn't matter what was going on in his life. He just walked back and forth and he prays and that's what he did. I learned how to worship by watching these people. I know how to stand for truth because I had men in my church show me how to do it. I know the Bible, the stories of the Bible like I do because I had Sunday school teachers and youth pastors and Bible quizzing coaches who poured into me and made sure that I got it. And would answer my stupid questions. And not <laughs> hold it against me. I watched people go through horrible things and remain faithful. They taught me how to do it. But our kids aren't going to learn. They're not going to get it unless we're going to teach them. Teach them diligently comes from a word that means to wet or to sharpen. And you cannot sharpen something unless you get close to it. We gotta be, we gotta be there with them. We gotta teach them. Yeah. And sharpening—if you sharpen something, it removes other things as well. Yeah. And our children are being fed so much stuff in the world today. All these crazy ideologies and stuff that needs to be removed, and it's only going to be removed when we teach them the truth. Right. Some of the stuff that goes on in my kids' class—they tell me about it. It's crazy. And it's being spread to our kids. And our, it's our job to teach them and to show them to live in such a way that they see something different in us Amen. than their friends' families and their friends' lives and their teachers. It's not just you know, our kids and our homes, but it's the kids around us. It's the ones that come to Sunday school. It's the ones in our, our family. We have a testimony. God has done some incredible things in our lives, in our homes, and in our families. And we've got to talk about it. We've got to tell them about it. We'll tell them about all kinds of other things. We'll tell them what hockey team to cheer for. We'll tell them what music to like and not like. We'll do all these, and we'll put all these other things. We've got to tell them about God. We've got to tell them about what he's done in our lives. We've got to tell them about the testimonies we have. We've got to teach them. We've got to show them. It's our responsibility to do God cared so much that the next generation knew what he did for Joshua and the people of Israel that he made sure, because he knew what people were like, he made sure that they took some stones and they set them up as a memorial to make the children ask questions. He set them up in such a way that they're going to say, what, what is this pile of rocks for? What does this mean? In fact, God, and when he gave the law earlier in the desert, he put things in there like this in Exodus 13. Thou shalt show thy son in, thy in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand and for a memorial between thine eyes. And the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance 
and his season from year to year. And he gave them things to do so that they could explain to their children. And, and uh, later on in that chapter, he says, And it shall be when thy son ask thee in time to come, saying, What is this? Thou shalt say to them, By the strength of the hand of the Lord, brought us out of Egypt from the house of bondage. We're supposed to live in such a way that our children ask, why are we doing this? My kids ask me that. Why are we going to church again? <laughs> why are we going? Why are we? And God didn't say, if your son asks you. He said, when he asks you. And when they ask, we're supposed to have an answer. The answer is not just because that's what we do or because I told you. That's not what the Bible says. When your child asks, why do we do this? You say, because God did this. Because the Bible says this. The principle here is we answer with the word of God. God's given us the answers to their questions in his word. But we can't give them an answer unless we know the word. And if we don't know, how can they know? We've got generations raised by people who just said, because I said so. None of you have ever said that? I know. I've definitely <coughs> said it. I don't want to lie. Well, that's just how it was. Preachers would say, oh, because I said so. Because this is what you got to do. You got to do it. And they never taught their kids and they never taught their grandchildren why. Maybe it's because they didn't know. Maybe they were told because I said so too and that was fine for them and it's just a vicious, vicious cycle we got stuck in. And if it is, then we need to break it. We need to get into the Word and we need to figure out why we do what we do because they're going to ask. We need to give them actual answers. We're failing the next generation if we don't know why we do what we do. If we can't answer their why. And the answer isn't just what we've always done or go ask your pastor or go ask your Sunday school teacher. God said you... Tell them. When your son comes to you, you tell them. When your child comes to you, you tell them. When they ask why, you answer. You need to remember. And as parents, as grandparents, as elders and saints in the church, we have to know because they're going to ask. What are we passing on? Is it just stuff or is it we're passing on spiritual things? What are we showing them and teaching them? We're almost done. Everybody okay still? All right. Everyone's toes all right? The Great Commission is to go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. Disciples are made and taught. They are shown. The best disciples you have are the ones in your house that can't go anywhere. <laughs> They're there for a while. You can teach them. All right, that was a joke. Uh -huh. You know... <laughs> The ones that come over to visit. The ones you're already connected to. You know, we make disciples of others, but don't neglect the ones in your families. We've got to know. We've got to remember. And uh, back to Joshua. said, this may be a sign among you. But when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what mean ye by these stones? Then shall ye answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant. You tell them the story. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial until the children of Israel forever. Why do we do this? Why do we have this feast? Why do we dress like this? Why are these stones placed here? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? We can't ignore the stones. We can't stop telling our testimony. We've got to remember, and we've got to know, and they've got to know. 
And I realized this was kind of one of those all over the message, all over the places messages, but I hope they caught the theme and I tried to run through it. If I could sum it all up, what I'm trying to say is God is good. God has done many incredible things in our lives. He's still working. He's still leading. And we'll get there. Yes, but we cannot forget what he's done. And we need to live a way, live in such a way that they know. And so today, um, altar is going to be a little different. Usually I just tell you to come and repent or something. Because that's a good one. But I want us to take some time and remember. We've got some. We've been here for a while. A lot of us, we've been in this for a while. We've got stories. We've got testimonies. We've got things. And sometimes we get caught up in all the other things going on around us. We kind of just, you know, oh, that's just history. Kind of just brush it off. But I want us to take some time this morning and remember what God has done in our lives, what God's done in our families, the times that he's provided, the times that he's answered our prayers, the times that he's delivered and done all these incredible things. If you can't think of any, why don't you think of some stories you've heard among the people? Because our testimonies are all intertwined. I want us to take some time this morning and thank him for what he's done. And I wonder if we could examine our lives and see if there's a memorial there. To see, make sure that we're living in such a way that people are asking why. Our co-workers, why? Why are you like this? And not because you're crazy. Why do you do this? Why is your attitude so different? Why don't you respond the same way? Why don't you say these words that everyone else says? Why, why don't you talk like the rest of us? Why our neighbors you know, are just asking why because we're annoying or whatever. But why, why is your car gone every Sunday? Where do you go every Wednesday night? What, what, why, why, what, what is different about you? our family and friends, and they ask why. This is the reason we live a certain way. The reason why we have these memorials and these things. Because they're supposed to. They're supposed to see a difference. They're supposed to ask why. And not because we're weird or awkward. That's a completely different thing, and I've had those questions as well. But if we are living in such a way that they, they ask why, that we've got to ask ourselves, why? Yes. Why aren't we? Yes. God's been good to me. God's been good to my family, and I need to make sure that I'm living in such a way that everyone wants to know why. So we're going to pray today. We want to come to the altar. It's open. It's always open. It never closes. You can come at any time. Um, we're going to pray we're going to take some time and remember what God's done and thank Him for it and examine our hearts and make sure that we're living in such a way that our children are asking why. When their friends come over to visit, they're asking why. Our neighbors and all that. So let's, let's make sure that we're living in such a way that everyone wants to know why. We're going to pray. The altar's open. You want to pray around the altar and pray. You can pray in your seat. Whatever. Let's just take some time today.
And remember what he's done. He's answered prayer. He's, he's healed. He's delivered. He's, he's done so many incredible things in our lives. Let's remember that. And let's let our lives reflect that. In Jesus' name. Why? Why? <laughs>